I'm going to walk through a psalm, Psalm 135. What I would like at the end is to give opportunity for some of you to give expression of thanks to the Lord. And what I'm looking for is not a whole message uh, or a self-serving thing and not a history of the past, but I'd, I'd like something that God has been working in your heart of recent times. And if you can fit within those parameters, that'd be awesome. Uh, did, I, did I make too many rules? <laughs> I, if, if we might allow a little grace, but <laughs> how's that? I still would like to have some of you share. Psalm 135, if you would. I've been spending part of my week saying, okay, what things am I thankful for? Just in regard to Thanksgiving, it's easy to let it um, just drift on by and not even really turning any attention toward there. Um, I won't ask how many have put up their Christmas tree already, but that's ungodly. No. <laughs> Why would you skip Thanksgiving? No. <laughs> so it's part of my prejudice of trying to delay Christmas at all costs. Um, but I, you know, we've moved away from being the agrarian society, and, and crops are gathered, but how many of us even know it? You know, Walmart appears the same. You go buy the stuff, right? Uh, but there's still this benefit of regularly just saying, I am thankful in the Lord. I'm grateful for his work in my life. And last week, uh, I don't know that I conveyed it as, as well as I wanted to, but when we were looking in Isaiah and it says the formal things will be forgotten, one of the things that, that caught my attention is that when we're standing before the Lord and we're giving thanks and honor to him. And there's even this declaration of holy, holy, holy. It's not about just a shame-based thankfulness that says, I'm so glad you spared my life. If, if things are released and actually forgotten, it means there's enough good and new going on that there's still this thankfulness and gratefulness coming out in extravagance. In other words, there's mind-blowing experiences in the Lord then and for the future as well. That it's not just a looking back and say, oh, I got by. You know, I escaped. I, I you know, you, you saved me. It's not just deliverance of the past, but it's this ongoing thing. It, I mean, quite honestly, I, I look at, my initial salvation or salvation experiences, you know. And, and truthfully, I don't have a, this wild testimony. I mean, you know, I've been saved from cookie stealing and sugar highs. Uh, you know, it's not, well, mostly saved from those things. Partially saved from those things. It's a bad thing when your wife's sitting in the service and she's going... <laughs> What's changed about you? <laughs> but it's not just about past experiences. I was talking with someone this week, and they were saying, 
You know, if I hadn't had those camp experiences as a teen, I don't know that I'd got, gotten through the next few years. And that very certainly was part of my life as well, where I can anchor into encounters with the Lord. But I'm not just looking for the past. I'm looking for today encounters as well. And it's just like, you know, in a marriage, if all you're relying on is, is that first year of marriage or whatever, what a dreadful thing that would be. But it, you're looking to continue building experiences together through all of life and the things that you encounter. And, and so that you point to things this year, not just previous or this week even. You know, it, that's, that's the approach in the Lord, so to speak, as well. It's not just a past, but it's a present encounter with Him that, that keeps us moving. And, I, you know, I'm going through and I'm looking and I'm... And it wasn't, for me this year, it wasn't so much about particular experiences, but I have this confidence that somehow I am anchored in truth in my pursuit of God. And I can't explain to you when exactly that took place. It's just this awareness that I, I don't doubt that anymore. You know, it's when the archaeologists come up with something or the scientists come up with, I've seen enough come and go that those things don't particularly bother me anymore. But they, it's partially because, I, in a sense, I'm, I'm backtracking because I have this satisfaction of life, so to speak, or an awareness that just says, God's real. What's been declared in Scripture is real. And I don't, that challenging isn't, isn't so much a part of my life anymore. So when challenges do come, I'm working from this base of confidence, so to speak. And it's, it's an, an awesome place to be, to be settled in that. And I can't tell you exactly when, when that took place. I, I have experiences to point to of critical issues that were resolved for me, but, you know, just this, this steadfastness that says, I think I have a hold of truth. And, and, and along with that, to say, he loves me. You know, it's, it's, uh, he intends good for me. I don't know exactly when that transpired, but I know that the implications of that continue to, to work in my life. Um, by nature, I could easily be a person that slips into long spells of melancholy. Uh, as a kid, I wrestled with those kind of things. But the truth is, my experiences with it now are maybe a few hours here and there. It, it, it's not like it's days. It's not like it's months. But there's this awareness that God intends good for my life. So why would I be anchored in moroseness? If even in this moment I don't see good coming out of it, but I have this confidence that good is coming, who cares? If, if there's this you know, joy of the day that says, this is just a sample of what my life entails from now and forever, you know, I, can, I can be rooted in that, but knowing that he loves me and cares for me gives me the base then to love others and to have the wealth of relationship that I have. What a privilege that is. And I guess in the same sense, I, I, this hope 
you know, that's connected to those things. It just says, today is great, tomorrow is greater, <laughs> eternity is the greatest, you know. <laughs> it, it just, you know, I don't know how those things came to be, but this steadfastness, so to speak, that has that attached to it, is a wonderful place to be in life. And I'm grateful to the Lord for his orchestration of that for me. Psalm 135, in a sense, is this declaration. Let's give praise to God. Let's thank him. And I know thanks and praise, you can quibble about the differences. I don't choose to get into that. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. By nature, he is good. Who he is, is good. You know, that's why I look in in saying eternity is not filled with just a shame-based thanks for sparing me, you know, because, you know, him holding a club over us and saying, I did a lot for you. Pay up. But rather, his nature was to to bless us and to provide a salvation for us and will continue to be good through eternity and we will be celebrating that, not dwelling just on, on our shame of the past or forgiveness and guilt, but rather recognizing he's mind-blowing today. He's awesome today. He's good today. He says, I know the Lord is great that our Lord, or let's see, the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Israel is his possession. Excuse me, fourth verse. He just says, God selected you as a people. Second Peter, that's expanded, you know, to all who embrace him. And you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And so that it pulls us in as well. Just saying, he's, he's picked you out. He selected you. He has decided to to show you his goodness. The Lord is great. Our God is above all gods. He says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. In other words, the, the power of his being is worth giving him praise. The psalmist then goes into some of their history and says, He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both man and a beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan. In their history, they had been brought into servitude under Egypt, and God brought them out. They tried to pass through the land of the Amorites and sent them a message and say, just let us walk through. And rather, the king said no, and came to battle, and and God delivered them. They really weren't ready for war, but God brought them a tremendous victory anyway. Sihon, king of the Amorites, he was in over 60 cities. He was a king that they should not have been able to conquer. And yet, in their history, they're looking and saying, Egypt ruled us. We had no power to free ourselves. God freed us. The Amorites, 
they had a right to say, you can't pass, but they came at us aggressively. We had no choice. And yet God delivered us. Sihon, they're going, he brought us into a land that we, we had no ability to take over. And yet he gave that to us. I look at that and I'm going, there are things in our own lives where, in a sense, we're controlled by and don't have authority over. And yet there's this opportunity to hope in the Lord and say, you have the power to change this situation. There are situations where we step into and we say, I know I need to get to this point, but I don't see any way to get there. I don't see how, to, how I'm going to get there. For a, a lot of their finances, they're going, you know, some of you have been, how do I ever get into a house? Can't afford one. Yet you have the right to cry out to God and say, how are you going to establish me financially? How am I going to provide for my family? God, what are you going to do in my life that makes me capable of this? I know that I need to get to this place. I just don't know how I'm going to get there. And even when you're looking at it and just saying, I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be, but it's bigger than me. I feel like this is what I should be doing, but this is the place, but how's it going to happen? And the right to look back at these stories and say, God did it for other people. He can establish my life as well. What an honor that is. And he does establish us. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. He says, this goes on forever. Doesn't change. This is the way that he acts. He says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold and the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, nor is there breath in any of their mouths. Those who make them become like them. At one point in the Old Testament, when the prophets goes, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. This particular passage is saying, you know, they were worshiping idols that they couldn't speak. They were worshiping idols that couldn't see. They were worshiping idols that couldn't hear. And their own speech became worthless, had no wisdom. They saw, but didn't understand. They heard, but it didn't make sense. In other words, they were chasing vain courses of life and became useless in themselves. They released the wisdom that was available to them in the Lord. That's the challenge of our day, to anchor into the things of value. When we pursue the Lord and his righteousness, our lives turn toward him so that we can see and hear and speak. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord.